you know what's not fun? Having COVID, which is what uh, uh, I have, and it's awful. It is not fun. But uh, what is fun is the Imperian Report. Uh, My name is Rue, and I'm here with your Imperian Report. This is the recap show about the Imperian Decree, a D&D podcast set in the world of Selenial. Now, uh, uh, I'm sure you'll notice that you do not hear the pleasant pandemonium of -of point-of-sale payments. That's because this particular recording is coming using the magical power of the internet, mostly because I'm afraid me and my family have come down with a a global pandemic disease, which is no fun, but we are making our way through it. Today, I'm so blessed to have with me uh, Mike, who is terrific and has uh, agreed to talk to us about this episode. Uh, We may have some surprise guests. We'll see if... uh, the dark fates allow them to join us. But tonight, uh, Mike and I are going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 15, uh, Bone Snake Mamba. So, uh, Mike, hopefully you're still there. I haven't lost you. I'm still here, trying to remember what happened in this episode. <laughs> exactly. But when last we left our heroes, uh, they had just uh, gone into a basement below the three windmills. Uh, there they found a, a circle that you uh, assumed was used to create the soul sand. Uh, No one went inside that circle, but instead you found a secret passage past that with another piece of the carapace and then the familiar four circles that sort of attack you, drain your life forces in order to lower the shields that hold the carapace in place, right? Yep. And uh, of course those... Four circles correspond to the the elements. The the damage started from whoever the last person to enter that particular element, so it kind of worked backwards from there. Right. What uh, what sort of uh, of course before you even got to to stand in those circles, you were attacked by a, a, a gigantic bone snake, which sounds dirty. Yeah. It slithered out of a large cauldron that was on the ceiling. <laughs> and we thought that was a, a sacrificial thing of some sort. Yeah. So we see the snake, we start fighting it because that's what you do when you see a, an undead snake, which wasn't undead. Apparently it was yeah, more of a, it was an aberration. Some sort of crazy uh, multi-attack, like centipede almost is the way yeah. I pictured it. Like Six attacks. clamoring around. Uh, yeah, it, six it had, attacks. Yeah, and fortunately, it missed most of them. <laughs> I remember Eric and Sam laughing at it because it was so ineffectual until it just like bit the crap out of it. He's like, "Oh, all right, I, I better, uh, I better pay attention to this thing." That's what Kiri was saying as well. Is like I, t- I didn't take it seriously until it hit, and then it started doing some real damage to him. Yeah, yeah. I don't suppose you guys use miniatures for this battle. I'd be curious what uh, what stood in for the bone snake. Uh, there were there were miniatures for this one. Uh, it was a a naga, like a, oh, a, a bone naga, I believe. Because yeah. so we were we were talking snaky and bony. Yeah, we were talking about it in in the episode the while we were playing, and Ryan asked if was 
did a bone naga and she said, no, it's a, it's a bone snake. But she was basically using that, that miniature for it. Right. And Sam actually climbed up it. He, he oh, had that's a, right. he had that calling when he walked in the room that he, he noticed the cauldron and it was calling to him of sorts. And just, it looked really interesting. So he, after the, the snake was restrained, he had climbed up it and then tried to basically balance on its head to reach up and touch the cauldron. And then pulled it down. I'll tell and you about this cauldron. As, as soon as he touched it, it shrank to like a, a miniature palm-sized cauldron. And after, after we defeated the snake, we found that it's actually a, a wondrous item that allows druids and warlocks to be able to resurrect people using, I guess it's a fifth level spell, raise dead. Yep. So yeah. The cauldron of You need 200 pounds of salt, but that's really not that bad to bring someone back from the dead. Yeah. And now you guys have a way to, to resurrect someone in case, uh, Someone goes down for good. Yeah. Of course, this uh, item has uh, a number of heroes carved in the side of it. Uh, One of each kind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got, got to catch them all. Sort of like the Pokemon of, of heroes. That's right. Right? And uh, there are a number of paintings on the, seer, uh, the ceiling. Yeah, uh, once, the, once, Go ahead. Once, the, once the cauldron disappeared or shrank into his hand, it allowed the light coming from the pillars to uh, shine on the ceiling so we could actually see the, the ceiling paintings. Yep. And there were three. Uh, one with uh, some drow and elven royalty at dinner, and then the drow prince falling into a, a fire, presumably his demise, because then the third question was the drow queen uh, giving the bird to the elves, which... I, uh, it's kind of funny to to picture. Uh, it was the, the equivalent of giving the bird to everyone. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know what that uh, would be in uh, Elf, but uh, I'm sure it's it's super juicy. I'm sure uh, Elena has a table for it to determine what it is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what do you think that is? Is, is that uh, maybe a callback to the Second Age and the fact that the Drow Prince represented the, uh, the uh, what am I looking at? The friendship between the Elves and the Drow uh, until yes. he was destroyed. I, I think it was in reference to where the the drow queen killed her brother and established the matriarchy in the drow culture that then she, she abandoned the Alliance and went back underground. Cause that's, wow. I think this came up a couple episodes ago. Yeah. And I think this is a, a painting of that, that, that situation happening. So you think the drow queen established the uh, matriarchy? It was a, I think it was Lestara that was telling Gideon about the occurrences of the Second Age and how it didn't used to be a matriarchy, but yeah. when the Drow Queen overthrew the prince, 
that's when she established the matriarchy. And I think that's, she also withdrew the drow back to their cities and away from the alliance of the second age. Interesting. All right. I wasn't aware of that. I just assumed it was always matriarchal. No, it's, it, it didn't used to be. Any, any ideas of what happened to that drown queen or if the drown uh, queen still sits on that throne? She might still sit on that, on that, on that throne because I mean, with the advanced el- age of elves, and it really was only like two, three hundred years ago. She's probably still alive. Yeah. But I don't know if we're aware. I mean, Nadal would know, but I don't know if the rest of the group knows or not. Yeah. Any ideas how that drow queen might fit in with this uh, carapace and the monstrosity that it belongs to? Um, I don't think it's it's come out yet. I don't know if she was a part of the of the well sorry it did it was explained that the carapace is part of a herald of one of the gods and I forget which one but I don't remember if she was a part of that or if she was fighting against that and then just kind of said no this is too much and gave up fighting against it yeah, I suppose you don't have a list of all the drow gods and goddesses. Actually, well, I, I guess for the elves, there are only two, aren't there? Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it was a, a a drow god. I think it was something else. I think it was like an undead Ooh. god or just something more villainous. Some sort of demon lord. Yeah. Of course, it's got to be drow flavored with the. Uh, with the spider body and uh, just being a, a gigantic thing. Possibly. In any case, you guys yeah. uh, defeat the four circles of elemental energy. Apparently Gideon stands in with something that uh, uh, burns you with acid or so. It's like you, you're in the earth one, Theus in the fire one, Sam goes to the, uh, the air one, and Asterion, uh, of course... <laughs> ends up in in the uh, the cold water one right yeah it's we all took the same damage um after the fact i uh i used the tip of my wooden bow to push the carapace piece into the bag of holding thinking that it would be a, a an isolated spot it's not just a bag where just everything's touching but it's more isolated and yeah. should have used a sword or something metal so i need to remember to get my bow fixed at some point because that's on the verge of just shattering. Um, and then we had to do a lot of mending afterwards and took some damage when we dumped, when I dumped the bag out in the library. Yeah, yeah that was not <laughs> my smartest move. Definitely not great. And and how do this, the, does the carapace attack everything? It seems to me like it just sort of ages things uh, at a super fast rate. I think it's necrotic damage. It's just a a life-sucking necrotic damage yeah. type thing. All right. Sam some bones and teeth from that monster. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, we just, we've learned to try not to touch it after Sam touched it and his finger kind of turned into like a crypt, king, crypt keeper finger <laughs> until he got it fixed. Yeah. I love that he still uh, 
takes that finger out every now and again and points it around <laughs> like it's been hit by frostbite or something. It's all blackened. Yeah. <laughs> so Sam grabs some bones and teeth from that, uh, the monster, the mamba. Uh, and then you guys take care of the guards. It's like you knock one out and then you lie to yeah. the upstairs one. We didn't really need to do that. No. We just kind of did. Uh, and yeah, we, and we took him upstairs and just, I honestly, I forget what we told the guard, but it was, I, I know we did lie about how he passed out and not how we, you know, knocked him unconscious, but I think we told them that they should really look for a different employment. Yeah. They should go somewhere else. This, this isn't a good, safe place to work for. <laughs> and it worked. Guys. Yeah. We got, we got out. We were able to get in and get out without any conflict with the people there. Um, fortunately, we did not walk up the road on the way back. We yeah. kind of snuck into the tree line, and we actually saw the Nadal's sister's boy toy, as we call him, yep. with a couple of other people that I think the Silverwoods came down and we saw a couple, we, we made some connections based off of this group of people that were hurrying to get to the, the mills to try to cover up what we found. Of course, that's exactly what they're going to do. Yep. Trying to silence us before we can pass any information on. And you made it out of there with a little bit of the soul sand. Yep. Yeah, we, we confirmed that it was soul sand. Yep, that's right. Later, you pass that on to, to Lystra, mm -hmm. and she helped you out with that. And of course, you also have the second piece of the carapace. Which is now which... a single piece. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you get back and you realize that this carapace is, is destroying things, um, you, you guys figure you need another box, and Varric sets about set, uh, creating that, that box. Uh, well, what's he end up creating that out of? It's it's like a, a, a fancy sword. It is a Wyvern Core Commander sword. So, so it's it's a it's a sword given to higher rank Wyvern Core members. Because do you think, oh, go ahead. Do you think this is Talister's weapon? Yes, uh, Talister is a. Oh, I forget. He's not the highest rank in the Wyvern Corps, but he's in the upper echelon of of commanders because he was a second age something, and I I forget. I need to circle back into my notes. Yeah, but he's pretty high up, and he, or he was pretty high up, but took a I think it was a bolt of like a um. I have a ballista bolt. Ballista bolt. That's what I yeah. thought it was. And Lestara saved his life, and that's when they met, and they got married after that. Oh, man. That, that's uh, that's quite a story. Oh, it's <laughs> it was a lot, yeah. It's like, oh, shit. I, I almost Ooh. feel like uh, Talister sort of Lystra's Frankenstein's monster that she's you know, he, apparently he's lost a quarter of his organs. And so she's, I don't know, grown him new ones in a vat or um, taken them from an animal or 
I mean, a quarter of your organs, that's a, that's a whole lot. Yeah. And when he, he started coughing up blood and we're like, um, or like, he's, no, he was coughing up blood. He had some blood dribbling out of his mouth. I'm like, mm, you've been talking vampires yeah. and now there's blood dripping out of his mouth. Like what the hell's going on here? Yeah. But I, I was able to roll, I think I hit a net 20 on that one. Oh yeah. And I think that's, and then that's when that story came out. So thank God it wasn't yet another vampire. Yeah, well, that's good. And and of course I'm, I'm wondering if there's something wrong with him that he's giving up his you know, ceremonial saber. No, uh, he. You know, yeah, you've you've outgrown it. Maybe he's never going to wield it again. But uh, I can't believe that he agreed to have it melted down. I, I think he says in the episode that he's had a, a bunch of them. He, he's lost a few. So it's, it's not like it's his first one. It's like a replacement of a replacement of a replacement. Oh, and so okay. he's just, yeah. He just doesn't have any attachment to it. That makes a little more sense. Yeah. It's a little on the ceremonial side too. <laughs> it just seems kind of uh, odd that uh, something that beautiful is just, Oh yeah. Oops. Yeah, whatever. I got three of those. Yeah, don't worry about I'm, it. I'm tripping over them on the way to the bathroom, you know. Yeah, it was it was definitely a weird thing because it it definitely makes him seem like he was born upper middle class or like or born rich and part of the aristocracy, but really it comes out that they were both both he and his wife were born quite poor and worked and worked their way through the military, put their time in and succeeded and and work their way up, not just inherited something. So still have that disconnect with things like that based off of all that years of effort and work and sacrifice. And it's just like, man, whatever's a throwaway thing. Yeah. I tell you, it, it made me wonder whether he was not what he said he was, particularly uh, after Sam and Thea go to look for dog and, and uh, we, we finally get to learn his name and, and what he's all about. Uh, yeah, that was, it was a very odd, odd exchange. Yeah. And they were, they were trying to go get to, to, they were, Theo was curious where, where the dog went. Cause we came back and he was gone. Yep. And yeah, Sam used locate animal, which finds the nearest dog or whatever animal you're looking for. <laughs> So fortunately, it happened to be the right dog and not just a <laughs> random dog. But yeah, and it's, it, he came off as very sexist, saying, "Well, it's man's best friend," and kind of kind of came off as a huge asshole. What do you say? It's uh, it's called man's best friend for a reason, dear. That's right. That's the wording he used. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, you know. Uh, uh, at first, I thought he was just a, an animal lover. You know, dog had a bow tie, just like uh, uh, the uncle, and and they were eating together. And of course, Thea's uh, so overjoyed and, and relieved to see him. She says, "What a good boy! I missed you." Um, but then, and she even uh, asked for help. Like, can you teach me how to how to like train him as? To, for, yeah. to be my dog, that kind of situation. And, but then he responds with that. And it was just, yeah. it led, led to the fight. 
And Sam's all like, you know, we, the, or I guess Thea said we have a bit of an issue. And he says, from what I've seen of your group, you're a walking issue. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, after Thea asks, uh, I guess Thea comes back with, so I assume you're the, your, your wife is the brains of the family? <laughs> that. He, he turns around and wings a, a copper coin at her, which does six points of bludgeoning damage and and the fight is on i guess yeah it's um she she doesn't back down she she calls him out for being an asshole and sam's there trying to back her up to get him to apologize and it just keeps <laughs> escalating on his end and he gets he throws a copper and or a, a a silver then he pulls out a pen and hits her like smacks her on the forehead with a pen and does like a level five smite and kills her. Yeah. And then like uh, 68 points of uh, radiant damage. Yeah. It was, I think 45 total damage somewhere there, oh. some mid forties and they're trying to teach her experience and it just, I don't know. It, it didn't go over well. It was, he just comes off as a raging asshole at that point. Yeah. What's he say as he walks away? Words don't matter out here. Uh, I don't think it says he walks away. I, it, it's somewhere in somewhere in there. Yeah, he says only only actions matter. Words don't. That's which right. which those are, I guess, the words you would expect from someone who grew up in the military and spent his whole life in the military, where it's it doesn't matter what you say; it matters what you do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that that's the problem is, sense. it's in, in it, it kind of, the the discussion at the table is like, well, you're attacking or you're you're speaking very rudely to a prominent member of society, so no one's responding because, or no one's getting involved because they don't view him as the problem, the person causing the problem. It's more they're looking at. Thea and Sam as the ones causing the problems, but they also don't know the full story of what's going on. Yeah. And so it's, it occurred to me that maybe he's done this before too, that this is not an uncommon occurrence. Possibly. It could be yeah. that. Well, like, oh, there, there goes good old Galore doing his thing. Yeah. Uh, I would hope not, but it's, I mean, just because it's, it's Gideon's family, but you never know. I mean, Gideon hasn't seen them for nearly 200 years. And he was seven when he saw them before. So. And of course, after Gideon hears about it, he says, maybe this is why my mother never brought us here, which is. I, yeah. Kind of that's, funny. That could be a thing. Yeah. It's, and I completely blanked out. Like the rest of us at the table, without metagaming, we, we didn't know what happened because we weren't there. Exactly. We, all we knew was the egg screamed. So we went running and I just, I think there was just so much going on. I just blanked that she told me what happened and it didn't really hit me until the next episode where it's, we, we, well, we can discuss that another time, but yeah, yeah. it was, it was, it was really weird. We got uh, some neat things that Sam did. Sam took a, a blue pill. He casts Flame Blade. Uh, tries to uh, get uh, Uncle Change Chucker with a 
uh, with a thorn whip. Uh, well, and there was there was a great exchange there where Sam is just is screaming out to like, get people's attention, and he's like, "This man is is attacking this woman." Bends down and picks up the copper. Like, are you really all just going to sit here while he just just beats on this woman and kills her? Reaches down and gets the silver. He's, he's just really just picking up money as he's as he's yelling this out. That's pretty funny. That's yeah, it was that was a great line from Peak Sam. Uh, which oh, yeah, the blue, of course, his blue pill was off and he takes some exhaustion damage. Yeah, I mean, we thought he died because you roll a d six. And she said, at first, Elena said, that's how many levels of exhaustion you have. Yeah. Well, six levels of exhaustion is you're dead. Yeah. But it's, she explained afterwards that it's, it's a one through 18 scale where if you, once you hit 18, that's the equivalent of six levels of exhaustion. So really he Got had it. two levels of exhaustion. Wonder if we'll see Sam take some more blue pills. He only has two or three more. So that was so funny. Yeah. And at least now we know what the effect is. I mean, it has a very strong physical attribute bonus, but it basically wipes out your brain power because even when it runs out, your bonus goes away, but your, 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 uh, the, the mental damage you take doesn't go away until I think it's a long rest. Wow. So Gideon will not be taking any blue pills. Oh, not at all. <laughs> he would basically just be shut down at that point. Yeah. But meanwhile, while uh, Talister is tossing a coin to his Witcher, uh, you guys are talking about the the soul sand and showing off the the carapace. Uh, how how did uh, Lystra deal with this this carapace? Like, how did uh, how did she? I get them and, and like introduce them to each other. Are they like uh, new members of the family? That like, did, uh, well, did the, it strike the you two... strange that uh, she thought to put them together? Yeah, I don't know what that was. Um, the two pieces were vibrating towards each other, and there was like a magnetic pull towards them. And I guess it was just the curiosity to see what would happen. But it's it she had to screams bad things yeah no don't put them together it's like all right well at least so now you know that yes they're gonna pull they're gonna try to pull themselves together but let's never do that again let's keep the other four (laughs) pieces separate of this all times exactly yeah and like how would you even break them apart it's like anything you use to touch them uh rots to to dust (laughs) yeah i don't think they're never coming apart again yeah, or, I doubt you know, it. here's another question: Like, what knocked him off this this uh, Titanic spider lady beast in the first place? Uh, I th- I think Lestara mentioned that a couple episodes ago. We kind of had a, a big lore dump when we first got into the Purple Raven, mm-hmm. and I think it was towards the end of of the Second Age. There's they defeated the Herald of that God. And they were able to chip off a small piece, and apparently it cannot get summoned again unless it is whole. So they keep pull. They took that piece off that and broke that into six pieces, and then separated that out to I guess the all the corners of the of the country to try to 
ensure that it wouldn't get back together. Mm-hmm. But from what we were seeing from the first one is there are people that are actively trying to get these pieces free and return them to get this, this demonic creature to come back. And that's why at least I've been as Gideon's like, I think we should be pulling these away from where they're at. Cause they're not safe where they're at. I, I thought the pieces of the carapace were from the Herald. They were. It's 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 a section. It's a chunk of the Herald that got but that got broken off. Got it. But they then broke up and separated again to try to keep it from reforming and coming back. Interesting. Well, uh, but of course, bad things are happening at the ca- the capital. So you all decide to send the. Carapace and the Soul Sand to Tower Lineth, the uh, the headquarters of the Raven Corps. Is that uh, accurate? Uh, it's no. Gideon's. It doesn't make sense to Gideon because it's a front line of sorts. Because it's it very right, much is a front line, right? Yeah, to the Underdark, the Drow are right there, and there's a kind of an uneasy situation with the Drow. And yes, the, there's a lot of military strength there. But again, it's a front line. It's so close. But we kind of speak to it in episode 16 that it, it makes more sense of why Talister recommends taking it there. Because yes, that's right. Uh, We're recording this after uh, episode 16 has already dropped. But, uh, yeah. The that's magic like, is lost, Mike. I'm sorry. I keep ruining it. <laughs> no worries. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll learn about that. Uh, in our next uh, next episode, which uh, is coming out, uh, but suffice to say that uh, Uncle Gaslighter has yeah. uh, convinced you guys that he's the the right one to take this carapace and the soul sand and keep it completely safe at, at Tower Lineath. Uh, but uh, I guess we'll see if that continues, right? Yeah, or if that's a good decision or not. Right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, to, to, to wrap this up, uh, Thea comes back to the Purple Raven quickly and, and begins to, to angry pack, looking to, to, to get out of Dodge because she's not feeling safe. Uh, and uh, as she's blundering out of the way, who does she see at the door? But uh, the young lady, Isabella Von Drock, right? Yep, who remembers her this time. She didn't remember her, her at the at the dinner. She completely didn't know who she was. And as you pointed out, they're going to go on a little adventure of their own. But that is a story for another day. Mike, thanks so much for taking some time tonight to talk with me. I, I really appreciate it. It's fun sort of pulling together uh, all these, these threads and re-remembering what happens during the session because I, I think it helps us follow it a little better, better and and think a little more deeply about what it is that uh, the adventure is about. Yeah, it's, I'm I'm glad to be able to come in and fill out fill in for, for Ryan and Kiri and some of the others that that come in on yeah. a more regular basis. And it's uh, uh, I appreciate you doing this online because uh, uh, it's no fun being sick. But not only thanks to you, but also thanks to the Adventures Academy for the awesome and inclusive game venue. Uh, this has been your Empyrean Report. Have a great night.